Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I am here with a special guest. We are on the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise podcast. But before we get into that, we're going to do a quick recap of last time and then a brief history of yoga, which is what we're going to be discussing today. So last time we talked about grounding, proprioception, and interoception. And if you'll recall, proprioception is simply your unconscious awareness of where you are in space. And to simplify, we called interoception your internal sense of yourself. Based on that, you can do all kinds of things. And a lot of the mo modern mind-body movement modalities are based on these principles, including some of the aspects of modern-day yoga. Go ahead and come into a comfortable seated position if you're not already. And all I want you to do is tap your left leg with your left hand. Just kind of notice how that feels. And then stop tapping your left leg with your left hand and switch to top, tapping your right leg with your right hand. Notice how that feels. Now just alternate between the two at your own rhythm. Left leg and right leg. As you do this, see if you can observe the transition between the left side and the right side. And then go ahead and let that go and relax. So that is a basic way to implement this idea of proprioception, actually, because anytime you use something that changes pressure, you're influencing your proprioception. And this can have a dramatic impact upon how you feel. And as I said, a lot of these mind-body movement modalities take advantage of this concept in a lot of different ways. There are so many ways to influence this idea. So keeping that in mind, we will go into a total transition, which is the history of yoga. This is going to be the world's shortest history of yoga. There are lots of books written about it. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. But the first reference to yoga came up about 5,000 years ago in an ancient Indian text called the Rig Veda. Rig Veda. From there, it became something, it was this complete holistic system. Yoga was one aspect of this path to samadhi or enlightenment. One of the different branches of yoga, which, like I said, is this complete system with things like breath and different yamas, is asana, which is the physical practice that we often think of when we think of yoga. And asana is the practice, as I said, that we think of when we think of yoga, and it's the practice that we, as we explore this, that I will kind of be referencing. When I say yoga, that's what I'm talking about in today's discussion. Like I said, you can go a lot of different ways with this. So if you want to explore deeper, please go ahead and do some exploration. Yoga means to yoke or to unite. So the whole idea of these different things 
that are a part of a yoga practice are to unite kind of this mind and the body. The father of modern day yoga is a man named Krishna Marchiana. I think I'm saying that right. And by father, I simply mean that he is the one that sort of popularized this concept of yoga that we have today. He was a really interesting man. He taught yoga for the Mysore Palace. And in an effort to make yoga interesting, he would do these really intricate movements and, for lack of a better word, stunts. He was pretty, again, he was a pretty amazing person. He was originally teaching to the youth at the palace. So that gave him a very specific population to design yoga asana for. Eventually, he went on to teach for Vivekananda, and his he was teaching to a very different population, and his style of yoga changed. Two of his pupils were Patabi Joyce and BKS Iyengar. There were others, but again, for the purposes of today, we're sticking with these two. Patabi Joyce is the father of Ashtanga yoga, which is, you can think of it as kind of the, the precursor to vinyasa flow. And then BKS Iyengar used props. He used things like the brick and the yoga strap. And he was really focused on designing a practice that would accommodate all different types of people. For the record, my background is in Ashtanga. I studied Ashtanga for eight years in my 20s into my early 30s. Our special guest today is Carrie, Carrie Warhol. Uh -huh. And Carrie, if I'm not mistaken, studied Iyengar. Is that correct? Yes. Excellent. Yes. And Carrie has a diverse background. And what I love about Carrie is one of the things that she brings to her practice is this idea of play. So she's constantly bringing different ideas and different ways of exploring elements of yoga, but then other modalities too, because Carrie comes from a dance background and other different mo movement modalities as well. Is that correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, I I studied Iyengar in depth, Iyengar yoga in depth. I did do Ashtanga prior to Iyengar yoga. Um, and like I dabbled in all the yogas in, in, in New York City at the time. <laughs> Which that wasn't a lot of yoga when I first started doing yoga. That was like, uh, you know, the early days, there were a few studios. Um, uh, but I, before yoga, I was in theater in musical theater and in movement theater. And I kind of concurrently with beginning my yoga practice, I studied at the Laban Institute for movement studies in New York. And I became a CMA. <laughs> and yes. so I, I did, yeah, I did their full-time program and uh, studied Bartenia fundamentals and Laban movement analysis and somatics and obviously anatomy and neurobiology and things like this, right? So it's kind of, uh, you could supplement your in Laban studies with, with other things because I always wanted you to apply what what we learned from Laban movement analysis into other fields. So it wasn't like just to be done itself, you know? Um, so, uh, but I was practicing, I started practicing yoga just maybe just a little bit before I went to the Laban Institute. I, I was in a theater, movement theater company and I wanted a practice like that. It was kind of, there were different elements. It's like, you know, emergence, like certain things like, <laughs> 
kind of happened that took me there to seeking out yoga. Part of it was seeing a performance at BAM at Brooklyn Academy of Music with this um, theater troupe from, uh, I, th I think this, they were from France. And, um, and it was a like three night spectacle of Greek, of uh, one of the Greek, you know, trilogies, uh, family trilogies. I can't remember which house it was, Thebes, Atreus, one of those. And, um, and the Greek chorus were Kapkali dancers. So it was a very different um, imagining of, you know, the role of the chorus and this, all this like movement that was so exciting to me and so different and the rhythmic elements. And it was just like, it was so interesting. So I got a little bit absorbed in the whole, wow, what is Indian theater, you know, and all this stuff. So um, all of it kind of led me to being like, well, let me like check out yoga, you know, and, and some Indian dance and things like that all at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. But and yoga, but but I from day one, I wanted, I wanted a practice because I, you know, would always like if if it wasn't going out for a run, you know, every day, or like I liked to do things every day, and I liked to do things with other people, but I also like to do things by myself. Like there was something very important about having that movement practice that was just me and me, you know, <laughs> so, or the environment, but it was the solo activity. I also like sports that, you know, that, well, you play them with other people, but it wasn't a team, you know, <laughs> so, oh, you know, gymnastics, tennis, you know, that type of thing. Right. So, uh, yeah, so that was, and it, and it was interesting because I feel like through the years, <laughs> the decades, I've been unpacking just the whole diversity of of interests that are a, that kind of what drew me into the practice, uh, and in in a way from very early age because when I was a kid I was again out running like it was a mind I, I did it for my mind. I would go out in you know rural New Mexico and I would go long long runs you know just because it it just did something for me and um I didn't it wasn't that I enjoyed running as an activity so much as I enjoyed that repetitive motion that rhythm that being outside that being with myself and my breath and just as a kid like it was it was a solace from everything else you know <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that, so the Iyengar thing, uh, because I tried these different yogas and when I tried Iyengar yoga, I was, I was intrigued for sure. Um, uh, and then just took the deep dive into that, which kind of led me away from my, I would say some of my deeper loves. And then I found my way back. You know, I think it's interesting how it, just when you follow any path, I think sometimes it takes you where you need to go. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. I actually had a similar experience with Ashtanga, so I can totally relate to this. Now, tell me a little bit. So with I Iyengar, and this yeah. was probably 30 years ago, right? Yeah, I started studying Iyengar yoga in the 1990s. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and early high. Mm-hmm. Was it pretty well, like um, late 80s, actually, late 80s, early 90s? I was doing the yoga journey in New York City. 
And then I think I really got into Iyengar yoga in the um, mid 90s, early to mid 90s, like 93, 94, around there. Yeah. So right when yoga was kind of starting to gain some press yeah. and popularity yeah. and become a little more known, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the yeah. time, was it pretty, uh, was sort of the mentality that you did yoga and that was, that was it? Because I know that's how it was when I started Ashtanga, like you did oh, yeah. yoga or you did Ashtanga and that was sort of a, supposed to be a complete practice. I was a terrible student. It was never my complete practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> No, it was like, I think it, it depended on how um, committed you were to, you know, to, to having, a, to being a disciple or whatever you want to put it, right, to the tradition. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, at least when I started my New York yoga journey, you know, you're in the room with all manner of people, right? Even then, like it was not like it is now, but there were a lot of dancers and there were, you know, people who were in alternative things and might be martial artists. And, um, but then, uh, you know, if you were going to go, like if you wanted to become a teacher, for instance, in Iyengar yoga, so you have to sit, I don't know how it is now, but you would, you had to study committedly exclusive supposedly exclusively only right. the method the method for at least three years before you could join a teacher training and then that process because it, it took like th three years or more and then you could go up for your first exam which and then there's just like years and years of exams like that follow if you're going to stay in that trajectory so uh it was it was when you got into the, I'm doing this thing. Yeah, there was this, maybe it wasn't embraced by all the teachers, you know, but there was a kind of thing, especially, well, certainly from Pune, that, mm -hmm. you know, which is the home of Bikesa Engar, yes. and we would all go every year to speak. Yes. <laughs> um, that, you, that was what you did. You did yoga, that it was a complete practice, that you didn't need to do anything else, you know? Um, and, and then things like, like certainly at that time, like strength training would be like, no, a big, no, no, <laughs> never pick up a weight, you know, um, <laughs> you should use your nerves, not your muscles, <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, like your intelligence. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I did adhere for a period of time, I, I like, I was like, I'm going to take the deep dive. Like I'm going to test this out, you know? And eventually I'm like, oh, I want to go for a run. Like I want to like, I want to like play with my bands. I want to lift something. Like, you know, I just got, I'm just going, yeah, I got to do something else. I got to get a, get, get other things happening because I noticed that for me, and I know it's different for everybody, but for sure. me, there were things that were had been, and it is, it's just, it's what you do, you know, like anything, right? If you keep doing it, you can do it. And if you stop doing it, you you can. Yeah, you know, you could again, but you'd have to kind of work on getting that capacity back. And right. I was really surprised at how certain things I could do really well. And other things I'm like, wait, that used to be really easy for me and it's not anymore. And then I could look and say, well, when was the last time you actually did something like that? You know, so yeah, your body's adapted to this thing that you're doing now. 
smart body, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's going to maintain its capacity to do this thing it never does. It's just a waste of calories. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's very good at, at just doing what it needs to do and nothing more, you know? So, uh, yeah, there was that. And I, I, when I finally kind of start, it was always a challenge because when I wanted to, or I actually did, I just took the initiative to do other things. I got pushback. I absolutely did. Yeah. From my teachers, from colleagues, you know, um, yeah. I'll never forget. I was, I'd taken an Ashtanga class, probably, it was probably a lead class and I was about to go for a run and the teacher looked at me and said, your hamstrings, they're going to be destroyed. God forbid, right? I was like, no, they'll be fine. (laughs) And things have certainly, I mean, I think the modern day, well, I shouldn't say about, there's an evolution, wouldn't you say, that's sort of happening in yoga right now? Yeah, I think so. I, I, um, oh, definitely, definitely. There's a, there's big changes because that's the way it is with everything, you know, like honestly, I'm not a spring chicken, you know, I feel like one, but sometimes Tommy, my husband, I will, we're the same age and we'll be like, just some perspective. We'll be watching some, I don't know, some show on CNN about the television in the seventies or something. Oh, you know, the 80s, the 90s, whatever thing, like from the lens of the sitcom or, you know, like whatever the topic is. And we were alive then, you know, so so you start to think about how much society, you know, how much change you've actually participated, you know, witnessed, experienced. And it's across everything. It's it's like cultural. So of course yoga, like dance, like theater, like cinema, like like philosophy, philosophy, you know, like movement <laughs> science. I mean, come on, like major different radical paradigm shifts of focus. Yes. And I think that yoga is just like everything else. It does change. And you know, and that's because all is change. And and I feel just from yoga that I experienced in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s um, till now, it's just very different. It's just, uh, it's a, there are elements of the practice, obviously the practice in certain traditions has remained the same. I think there are some changes that have had to happen, but, uh, but we have so much access to information now, which we didn't then in the same way. You know, when you think about the internet, there we didn't have it. <laughs> there was no iPhone. When did that happen? Like in the 2000s, whatever, like life before the iPhone, the life before you had a freaking computer, you know? And right? Yes. You know, when you had a phone that had a cord, then you had a number that you had to remember. <laughs> so, um, you know, you could just call someone. You'd have to go to a phone booth in New York. You better have a quarter. <laughs> I don't know how many times I was calling collect all the time, but like it, it, uh, I think that because we have so much access uh, of information, because we can see what each other is doing and how people are thinking and people challenging ideas so much more readily and easily and right at your fingertips now than we have ever 
And that we know that's just going to accelerate even exponentially now, right? With with everything that's about to happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think that it can't help but be, um, you know, we as a culture uh, and people who are into these various practices that are based on, you know, that are traditions and based on ideas that from thousands of years ago, right? We uh, we can question and and hear each other's perspectives in ways that we couldn't then or didn't. Maybe in our small little groups we did, but uh, this is this is I think a, what's very interesting is how everything is so intertwined. You know, it's just um, it's fascinating actually the whole cultural kind of, I don't even have words for it, but these traditions are impacted by the present moment. They can't help but be, you know. Which I think is a good thing, don't you? Oh, yeah, because how does, does it live? It lives in the people that are living now. Like, we don't really know what it was like, you know, back in the utopic days that we're told when everything was like, so wonderful. <laughs> At least, if, you know, the yoga text sometimes is presented like that, right? So, uh, yeah, we, I think it's, it's like, all we can do is live whatever, you know, there's history does repeat itself. We're, we're not like, we think we're thinking new things, but are we? <laughs> and, and so we're, we're having our ideas that I'm sure that, that the, that the practitioners from, you know, thousands of years ago, were having their ideas and, you know, they're, yes, they're in the context of the time. They can't be separated from that. Um, and yet there are, we are in this body, which hasn't changed so much right evolution is slow in that way so you know we're still dealing with this situation <laughs> and because of that there are things that humans have observed and um reflected upon and those continue to be um if not true to be to resonate as true or as something um, kind of that is, if not, it, you know, eternal, I don't think it's eternal, but it's looking at the bigger sense of time, you know, and, and a, that we are connected to our past just as much as we are to the things that are in front of us. You know, what is time anyway? I don't want to get philosophical here, but the, right. the, I think that these practices, and I'll just say that as a plural, give us a sort of feeling of perspective and a feeling of, of um, embodied history mm -hmm. and, and how we, through our behaviors and our thoughts, shape our experience. We, we construct it in so many ways. So, uh, and our perception, right, is impacted by that. And that's what yogis were uh, very interested in. And I think people are still interested in that. Uh, and, you know, it's probably informing the technology that's emerging. <laughs> Perception. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. And I love that you went into like warrior two arms as you were explaining that. <laughs> the future, the past, the present. <laughs> yes. 
Well, and that is the thing about some of those asanas, which I don't, oh, I, I practice, I don't practice them very often at all anymore, but I practiced them for so long and they got, you know, they became so much a part of me is you felt, I don't know about you, but I would, you felt connected to something. Oh yeah. When you were doing them. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I feel, and you know, it's interesting. I, I do feel that in doing asana, like traditional asana, but I also feel that when I'm doing like somatics, do you know, yes. like, like yes. some somatic movement practice or Bartenian fundamentals even, because that's a somatic movement practice or yes. when I'm dancing, I absolutely 100% more than Austin. I feel it when I'm dancing, when I'm dancing to me, it is the most profound experience, joyful. Uh, I have no words for how much I love it. And if I'm dancing a dance like we were last night from the swing, you know, like from the 1930s, we're using that music, we're exploring that movement. There's a feeling of, uh, of being in a different time. If I'm dancing something from like, like a movement from the 1960s or songs from the 1960s or the 70s when I was like coming of age, right? I'm a kid in the seventh, growing up in the 70s, going to high school and all that. That music will like change me physiologically when I start moving with it. I swear to God. Like I, I'm like, I'm 16 again. You know, like it, it really, it's weird, but you just go, this is something. This is something, do you know, the that that music is vibration, it's sound, it's it's impacting these different areas of our brain, and that's in our physiology, like it's all one in systems, complex web of <laughs> interdependent, you know, like neurochemicals and 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 things that are shared with other people culturally, because that's a big thing too. I think that, that that sort of epigenetics or however you want to label it, the influence of our environment. Um, we are, we are through our body able to experience states of being, um, connectivity, history, you know, the big, like just sort of the live the question. It's not even having an answer. It's just living the question of existence because it is still such a mystery. You know, that, that question of, you could trip out on it sometimes, don't you? <laughs> totally. <laughs> You're like, like I used to do that as a kid, you know, where I just be sort of having some weird sort of perception loop. Like I just, and I, it doesn't really happen to me as much in that way as an adult, but my husband's was like, ah, it's a little existential dilemma as a child. But I was like, no, I, I was like, I would just kind of get in this thing where I'm like, I'm seeing this, you know, like I'm like having this experience, but who am I? I now I like, it would just be, and I would trip out on that. I'd be, oh. You know, but this thing that you like, who is seeing? Yes. Who is seeing? What is this thing? <laughs> And that having that as just organically as a kid, because I think kids do that stuff. They sure. Are, they are the, they, you know, yeah, they're floppy and unfocused and all of that, but they're questioning. They are the ultimate curiosity machines. And they're, they're, they are so connected to their embodied experience of 
a perception like when you used to spin around and get dizzy because it was like cool like it just was like dizziness I loved it I was just like want to get dizzy and then just feel it you know or like the sort of stuff that I just like reflect on as a child how much I was just learning through my body and pain was you know things would hurt too but it wasn't like I was going to move away from that I would almost sometimes be like okay, let me like move into that again. Like, what is this? You know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, stuff that you do. I remember I just used to jump up in the air and tuck my legs underneath me and land down on my shins and like a little ball because it would make my brother laugh. And then, but I would also be like, boom, you know, like what that felt like to be like, boom, on the floor, it was carpet floor, but like the solidity of it and the boom, you know, and then like, okay, that kind of hurt, but but I want to try it again. I should do that again. <laughs> we got, I got to get, I can tune into that one more time. And he's laughing. So I might as well, you know, like those things where you're just so in your little body and living all the insatiable, constant questions that you have and you answer it through embodied experience. You answer it through action and perception. I, obviously you're perceiving what you're, whatever it is you're perceiving. But um, that is, uh, I mean, they are like, they're like kind of little yogis, even though I know they're not like all centered and like, you know, disciplined and single-minded focus. They don't have that. But, um, well, sometimes they do if they're really absorbed in a game, right? But um, there's absorption. You see it. Uh, But there's also this curiosity and this willingness to literally live the question through the body in a way that is, you know, that I think delivers interesting information and more fodder, more soil for questions, even more questions. So, um, yeah, I don't even know what started that, but what you asked. <laughs> Do you think our movement practice, like any sort of movement practice that we participate in as an adult is a way to return back to that? I think it can be. I think it it that it depends on how you approach it. That's why I I love the I the 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 for me it's like a philosophy or a Tao of play because I think anything can be approached from a playful mindset that that however you want to define play because people define it different ways but there's some agreement you know there's disagreement too but there's some agreement on that play is play is voluntary and I do believe that's a very important one because I think that as soon as you start mandating it (laughs) um, or forcing it or you know like it's something that you are that's there and you might watch it from the sidelines, right? Until there's some attractor state, whatever, somehow you're you're drawn into it, you're attracted to it. And uh, play, anything can be approached from a place of uh, of play, which is, you know, it's not, there's, it's a way of shifting our consciousness so that we're moving away from the high, high stakes, you know, life or death thing. And we might play with imagination as a way to bring up the stakes or lower the stakes, but play itself 
like it's a game, you know, so we know we're not really going to die, hopefully. And um, in that right way in the game and that we can try behaviors and we can try shifting our perspective and looking at things differently. And we can, you know, we can do stuff. It's like a superpower. You can do stuff when you're playing that you can't do when you're not playing. And, and that those things that we let ourselves try are very often like something really um, useful and important, even though play is often defined as something that doesn't have a purpose. Even though uh, biologically, I think it does have a purpose because it's how we and other animals and not just mammals, you know, like even, I guess, reptiles, apparently, according to some things I've been reading. But play does happen, um, especially in young animals. We as humans are I don't think that we're unique in that we play into old age because you see old dogs playing a lot and old cats. They're all playing. But (laughs) you play and like if we stop playing um that's to me like well it's sad to me because i think it's sort of a way of giving up on the thing that connects you to your to your creativity and to your um to that part of you that is uh that is a learner do you know because play is how we learn um especially as children it's how we learn and i think it like for me it continues to be how i learn as an adult so uh Yeah. And I think any practice, like I think anything could potentially be approached that way. Including Um, yoga? Oh my God. Like if I didn't practice yoga playfully, I don't think I would be practicing it. I don't think I would. It would, it wouldn't continue to, because I started practicing playfully. So when I first began practice, it was something that I, you know, I tried these different yogas. So I was already exploring, exploring my options. And then, um, and to me, it was play because first of all, I was a theater person and a movement person. So it's all play. Totally. <laughs> you know what? It's all made up. And I still believe that this is the thing to remember, no matter what, it's <laughs> somebody made it up. Sometimes I'm like, you know, Asadas came from somewhere. Someone, oh, yeah, somebody made this shit up. <laughs> and maybe it's great, you know, like, but they did. They did. Somebody made it up. Some people made it up, a group of people, like, um, <laughs> so. Yeah. And I love to imagine what that looked like. What happens if I put my arm here and the yogi next to him said, well, what happens if you put your leg behind your head while you're putting your head? Yeah. Like, seriously, like, how did it happen? You know? but we're messing around like they always do right so you know experimenting they were kid they're like a kid you know there is that thing they're trying stuff out and they're observing what it does and they're trying it again and again and again the same way I was jumping up and down like again because <laughs> there was something that I'm like but wait but wait but wait like what is that what is that and so um yeah that's that repetition because there's something you're repeating it, but you're never really repeating it. Exactly. <laughs> right? So, you're like, oh, what happens if I do this tiny little subtle shift? What does that do to that? <laughs> yeah, because you're never really exactly repeating it. Because 
there are always you're different in the next moment and there are in, other influences and factors that are changing the way that your nervous system is organizing this movement even if you think you're doing the same thing and you're intending to do the same thing it's still a little different so there is that there's this thing about the repetition repetition without repetition or whatever like that is that i think calls to that is what is so beautiful in practice um is it's uh it's just this place where we really get to explore how we're every present moment is new it is new every moment is a new moment and so um and that is an embodied realization i think in the practice that it can be so for me to practice yoga without play would just take the juice out of it you know it would like it would take the the my spirit it would be like it would be like i don't know if, um like 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 plucking the wings off a fly you know like doing <laughs> clawing a cat you know like <laughs> would be i'm using those analogies because it's that it's that essential like 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 taking the spirit you know taking the thing that is sort of uh, I, I don't know that essence is the word, but uh, um, I always think about that great, his dark materials. I don't know if you ever read that trilogy of books. I've mentioned on other podcasts before. No one seems to have read them, but um, a really great trilogy. And uh, well, it was like, I think there it, there was a series that was made on, I don't know if it's Netflix or one of the, where they actually did the trilogy and of the books one of them is the golden compass which was turned into a but you know what that movie that hollywood made they totally took the they they took the church out and you can't take the church out like like that is kind of like really important like the magisterium and what that represents a church you know so (laughs) like you know like you can't do that right but where they would the the in this you know world they would sever children from their demon. They always have like a until you are in the story until you're like an adolescence and your identity is more fully formed. Um, you would be just such so such beautiful uh, writing here or or uh, idea um, is that that the that the demon like the little animal who's always with you. Um, is changing forms like it might be a squirrel and then it might be a bird because you are changing forms and you're learning about yourself and there comes a time when maybe you're settling into a an identity and then that's when your your demon sort of settles into its form in the story um and what the magisterium would do oh you the church is um <laughs> had this device that would sever the child from their demon, which mm-hmm. basically left them like this compliant, empty, complacent, you know, um, like tell you what to think and you'll think it, tell you what to do and you'll do it. But the spirit's gone, like the thing that was, that makes you, you, or makes you different from any other being, right? And and so and whether that's a fixed thing or not, you know, that it, but there is something and that I feel like play is how is to me like 
the thing that connects me to, for lack of a better word, divinity, just for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word. I wish I had a better word, but to that which is beyond words and comprehension. Um, but, uh, but so worth leaning into (laughs) embracing and, and, and yeah. Thank you so much, Carrie, for your time. This concludes part one of our podcast of the mindfulness movement and exercise podcast with Carrie Awerko. Again, you can find Carrie at www.carrieowerko.com. You can also check her out on Instagram. And I highly recommend following her. She does some very cool things. We'll pick up the conversation next week. Thank you again for listening.